Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie, PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. We're happy to have with us here in studio the executive director of the Erie Airport Authority, Erie International Airport, Derek Martin. Good to see you, Derek. Great to be here, Joel. Good to see you. Thanks for sludging through the rain here. <laughs> Tell me about uh, how winter has been a bit out at the airport. Uh, a winter like this, does that save you guys money when you don't have so much de-icing and everything? Yeah, it's been a, a great winter so far. We've got to knock on wood because we don't <laughs> want to jinx ourselves. Yes. Um, yeah. But uh, we budget for de-icing. We budget for all those things, uh, sand, salt on the, on the roadways. And because uh, the one air has been pretty mild, uh, we haven't had to use as much. Uh, New York City, for example, has not had one snowstorm this whole winter. So it's kind of strange. That really is. And so if you have a pile, if you have a stockpile somewhere, it'll be there next year when you need it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we have this, uh, you know, state, we'll call it state of the art, but certainly we have a, a safe main runway now. What, what's, the, what's the number for that, by the way? It's, uh, it's 624. 624, yeah. okay. And... Um, you know, we, we, you know, significant investment in all of that. And it basically happened about two, three years before the pandemic hit is when it finally got the, the, the job got done. Maybe it was more like five years. But now uh, the, the whole airline uh, situation has changed. Talk about the state of especially regional airlines uh, right now in the United States. So regional airlines has been a challenge because of the cost of a pilot. So, for example, when United or not, when Delta Airlines and Northwest merged in 2009, they had 500 regional jets, CRJ200s. 500. 500. The sheet I have in front of me is an internal document from Delta Airlines from 2019 that says they had 60 in 2019. So you can see they're dramatically trying to get away from that airplane because. Um, that plane it was not economical. It's very difficult to make a profit with that aircraft. So Delta, just cost of operation, cost of the airlines operations. Okay. To, to fly that aircraft, it, it's got fifty seats. Uh, you got to cover the cost of, of getting that plane from whatever location you have to another hub, and then they connect those people throughout their system. To just give you an idea of why that plane has been a challenge and it's been challenged for a long time, you can Google it. The, um, the the retirement of the CRJ, that it's not its not a feasible aircraft, the 200, is if you look at Boeing 747, mm-hmm. they just delivered their last 747 cargo freighter. That plane was in production for 50 years. The first CRJ came off the line in 1998, and it's been discontinued. Wow. It's not economical. And so prior to the pandemic, Regional jet pilots were making $17 an hour or whatever that number was, but it was not a substantial number. Since the pandemic ended, some low-cost carriers came online, and they were trying to get pilots. There was a shortage of pilots. So to keep these pilots that they they needed, some of the regional carriers had to pay the same salary as somebody flying 110 or 115 passenger aircraft. Oh, my goodness. So the economics just doesn't work. And so if you look at... You know, communities around the United States that lost service, our next door neighbor in Cleveland has lost a lot of service. Um, 
Allegiant Air left. They had 17 destin uh, seven destinations. They flew nonstop out of there. They canceled all those services. Delta canceled service to two destinations. I think Frontier canceled service to two destinations. So overall, they're down about 11% of the passenger seats they had. And nationwide, um, we're down about 15%. So Okay, let me make sure people heard that again. So uh, we, there, the, the number of passenger seats nationwide has dropped 15%. Correct. Well, that, I mean, that's, you know, the little guys get smaller and the big guys get bigger in that kind of uh, survival of the fittest mode, don't you think? Well, it's, it's where the, the volume of people are, and that's where the challenge is, is you have volume of people in certain locations. Yeah. And, you know, the, you know this is from the Cleveland Business Journal. Uh, in 2022, uh, fourth quarter, 15% down um, from 2019 numbers prior to the pandemic in airports like Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles. The biggest decline uh, was in flights. So when you have big, big communities that are losing flights, and that happened with Delta. Delta left Erie Airport, and they never ramped that operations back to where they were pre-pandemic. They're running around 74% of where they were pre-pandemic because they're not flying the regional jets into certain marks in there. They're not flying from Toledo to Detroit. They're not flying from Ithaca, New York to Detroit. They're not flying from uh, Kalamazoo to Detroit. All those services got canceled. And they basically said, if you're sort of in a driving distance to some extent, we're not serving your market. You know, Toledo's only about 75 minutes right. or less to from to Toledo to Detroit. Kalamazoo is about two hours. So those places where they consider possibly a drive market, they're not f providing that service anymore. So it makes it makes it challenging. So did, did they lose that many pilots? I mean, I mean, where did all the workers go if you're only flying seventy five percent of what you used to fly? Well, the challenge is they were they're in they're in survival mode when the pandemic hit in twenty twenty. Nobody flew. So if you look at the numbers out of Erie in twenty nineteen in the month of April. Uh, we had over 8,000, almost 9,000 people board a plane in Erie. We had 9,000 employments in April of 19. In 19. Wow. In April of 2020, 421. We averaged about 14 passengers a day boarding planes in Erie. So that, that was dramatic. So what they were trying to do is cut costs. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways they cost, they offer early incentives for retirement for pilots. They lost... Delta alone lost 2,000 pilots. Oh, my gosh. So when you lose those pilots, you have less pilots to fly the planes that you have, so you park the planes. And a lot of these planes have to have what's called a C-check, which is basically you take the plane apart, you put it back together. And it was very expensive to start, but some of those planes needed that, and, and because they needed that, they just parked them in the desert. And so you have, you can see pictures from in Arizona of planes that are just parked in the desert uh, because they're not going to use them anymore. Unbelievable. Uh, let's pick up on this CR, uh, CRJ thing that you mentioned, because last time you were here, you were saying the idea of a 50-seat plane is obsolete. It's going to be a, what, 120, 130-seat plane? Well, that's what Delta's replacing with. But prior to the pandemic, both American and United were scheduled to go from the 50-passenger plane to the 76-passenger plane. American had started it, United was going to do it two weeks later. The pandemic hit, so they said, nah, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to move forward with that. Right. Since then, United uh, starts on March 4th, so this week, 
uh, weekend. Uh, they're starting the first flight in the morning. The last flight at night is going to have the 76 passenger plane. So flight. that's coming to Erie, 76 that, passengers. Right. Wow. And so we're waiting for American to free up some aircraft so they can do the same thing. So it might not seem like a lot, but if you have two additional flights a day, if they do both flights, that's basically you've added another 50 seater into the marketplace because 76 and 76 gets you mm -hmm. the over 152 and then if you look at our 50 that we're currently two flights a day is 100 so it adds additional capacity in in the community for people to go to destinations that they want to and they don't do that unless they see that the market bears it correct correct and our, our numbers if I mean, what's our, what have we been hitting as far as percentage of, of full, if you will? So typically January is a slow month. Typically yeah. September is a slow month. In the month of January, American went out at 98% capacity. Oh, my gosh. And between the two, I think they were at 93 or 94%. So we're filling the, pl the planes that we have, the seats we have. So you got to remember, when you're not at 100%, sometimes you're not at 100% because the person didn't get to the airport on time to catch their plane. Right. Okay. So right. that seat went empty and compared mm -hmm. to if they were there. So we're filling the seats we have. We just don't have enough seats. And so we continue to work with the airlines. Last week I was uh, at a, a conference. Uh, I met with seven airlines to talk about air service at Erie, continue to try to see what you know what we can do with uh, seats on United and American, as well as trying to s get some additional carriers in the community. But it, it's tough uh, in the environment with the number of passengers that want to fly and the least amount of pilots that are out in the marketplace. And so it's a balancing act of what you have available, what other communities are trying to do, and seeing how we can get ourselves positioned to uh, get some more service in the Erie. Yeah, it's it, you're really you're really battling with all these other secondary markets. Correct. Aren't you? Well, actually, what are we classified? Are we a tertiary market or well, secondary? I, would you say? I think we're a regional market. And I regional think market. Here's a stat for your for your audience. Since the pandemic, 68 communities have lost air service on American United and Delta. Wow. Not counting anybody else, but just on those three carriers. And some airports, like Dubuque, Iowa, they lost their main carrier, and then they might have got a, an, another carrier to come in. But they lost their hub location. And what people don't understand is the United Americans, and even when we had Delta, why that's important to this community is the international traffic that goes in and out of this community mm -hmm. to go to local universities. Gannon University has 880 international students, and they all fly into Erie, Pennsylvania. Mercyhurst has them. Um, Leecom. We also have... Um, you, and you do have corporations that have international yeah. reach, right? Right. I mean, well, there's one, I can't remember the name of the corporation. Their world headquarters is in Ireland. Their U.S. headquarters is in Erie, and they fly back and forth all the time. So th that connectivity to a hub carrier that gets you to a place like United uh, in Chicago or American in Charlotte, and it connects you overseas is important. Mm -hmm. And um, we had the same situation with the pandemic with our service to Dulles. We had nonstop service to Dulles. Okay, we started that in December of 2020 in the height of pandemic. It was doing really well, but they lost pilots. So 14 communities, including Erie, lost service to Dulles. Right. had nothing to do with the community. It had to do with the, the marketplace and the environment for aircraft and pilots. And so uh, when, you, when you look at how the environment has changed what we do and how we approach things, 
um, that's that's pretty pretty challenging. A lot of people like that connection to Dulles because they can get down to Florida. They could also get up to the East Coast, to Boston, New York, and these other destinations. So it was a, a good alternative to Charlotte if you were going to the East Coast as well as going international. I was going to say, yeah. Do is there is there a typical almost shuttle service to New York and Boston out of Dulles? I mean, like hourly service or? I think there's hourly service uh, on United to uh, Newark to Newark okay. and then um, the other carriers that are there most likely um, Delta or American would go to JFK or I didn't LaGuardia. know if JetBlue went to Boston or you know. uh, yeah. not, I'm maybe d- from Boston to uh, Dulles I'm, I'm okay. not sure yeah, but yeah. but once you connect out of here you would stay on United to take you to your right. whole destination Derek Martin is our guest here uh, on the program. And uh, Derek, uh, uh, from the Erie uh, Airport Authority, let's, let's talk about aircrafts and pilots uh, some more because I think, I think people need to understand where, where this industry is at because, because there's inconvenience whether you fly out of ERI or not. It's like everywhere. Are we seeing workforce shortages at airports itself, uh, you know, connecting airports? You know, when I fly to Charlotte, what's my, what's my experience going to be like, you know? Well, I think the, the experience of connecting traffic is pretty decent. Okay. One of the biggest challenges, and, and I used to have a bad leg, so I've experienced myself, and I actually worked at Detroit when it happened, mm. is that the people that do the wheelchairs and take people from gates to gate, Sometimes um, they're not as timely as you would want them to be so that you can get passengers from point A to point B. Um, Airports have done a fairly decent job of keeping their staff in check. The the bigger challenge is uh, the volume of passengers that came back after the pandemic. I mean, we're almost there to pre-pandemic levels, We're still down about 15%. Oh, are we? Okay. So uh, leisure travels have picked up a lot of the slack. Business travelers are starting to come back. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we were at about 90% business travelers out of Erie and 10% leisure. And right now, I would tell you, we're, those numbers most likely are flipped the other way. Oh my so goodness. we see families actually flying in and out of Erie, going to destinations uh, in Florida and other things. It's just they like the smaller opportunities to get in and out of Erie, as well as not have to worry about rushing to get through and those sort of things. I was going to say, but you think about TSA... I mean, uh, what are weights like? I mean, if you're coming back from Orlando after a trip to Disney or Universal Studios, are you in line for 45 minutes at TSA or not so much? Or Not at Erie. <laughs> <laughs> well, not at Erie. Not on the way out, right? I mean- no, uh, what you have in, in those big cities like Orlando, and we've done the TSA pre-check multiple times here, and actually it was interesting that over 50% of our passengers had access to TSA pre-check going, wow. in, going okay. in and out of your airport. And so with us doing more of those events, even the leisure travels have the TSA pre-check, so they can whiz through the line here fairly easily. But you really need that when you're coming back. If you're coming back from Orlando or Vegas or some city like that, uh, the TSA lines can be massive, and you can mm-hmm. wait there 30, 40 minutes to try to get to, through the process if you don't have TSA pre-check. So that's a great uh, opportunity and service that we've been offering at the airport for people to come and do that sort of thing, and it, it pays off. But... Um, the, the lines, TSA is fully staffed. They're get, okay. looking forward to uh, whatever our, our next break, I think Easter, is coming up. Uh, I just saw something today that they're fully staffed and they're ready to handle the onslaught of crowds that are going to be traveling. What's this, uh, and you don't have to comment if you don't want to, but this concept that TSA keeps on 
coming up with firearms, even at the Erie checkpoint, are people just not remembering that they have arms in their carry-ons, or is this some other uh, more nefarious plot, if you will? No, I I think we've had three in the last five years. I mean, so it's not been bad at Erie Airport. I think uh, I think Atlanta averages fourteen or fifteen a day. Okay. Uh, so the what happens is people forget they have a firearm, which I find hard to believe. You don't know where you put your gun. And then secondly, they'll have a um, concealed carry permit, and doesn't realize that doesn't apply at airports. And what's really the sort of disturbing is they come there, and they have the gun in their carry-on bags. And sometimes it's fully loaded with a clip. It's it. incredible. And so once it's in the machine, it stops. Police is called over. They come over, handle the situation, and usually the person gets taken to jail uh, trying to get on a commercial flight with a, a firearm. So it, it's, it's kind of crazy. And we just talked about TSA PreCheck. If you have that service, now you've lost that service. Right. Because now you're not as um, it's not as safe as somebody else yeah. that that might that's been vetted. So it's 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 a interesting scenario of why people you know have have that happen. I just I, I I just don't get it. I mean, especially you know you know you're going through security. You know you're going to be checked. Um, right, right. The um, uh, you know as far as personnel goes, are are there are there jobs at Erie International Airport uh, that you're trying to fill? No, we're fully staffed. You're fully staffed. Yeah, the airlines, United and American Airlines, have been trying to hire additional people. They like to have, uh, they deal with a lot of part-time folks. Mm -hmm. So they like they have more staff than maybe they need to make sure that they fill their shifts. So uh, American was doing interviews last week on both Thursday and Friday. Uh, United had some as well, so... And that's for baggage handlers and uh, ticket well, agents? the or? ticket agents, so yeah. the, those, those folks do everything. They check in at the ticket counter, they'll take your boarding pass at the gate and they put the bags on the plane and take the bags off the plane. Okay. So it's a multifunctional job function uh, at regional airports compared to bigger airports where you have one person does this, one person does this, one person does sure. that. What about uh, for rental cars? Are you finding that they're fully staffed as well through the rental agents? Yeah, rental cars are, are fully staffed. The, the challenge with the rental cars have been is- uh, that Cars. Was, cars. I mean, they, they were a group during the course of the pandemic that they were trying to survive as well. And they sold most of their fleet, so they didn't have cars. And it's interesting to see how one carrier at the airport can have 120 cars and another one maybe have 40 or 50. Um, and that's, you know, they're trying to get cars in the fleet and get out to the airport. But car rentals in this town is challenging from the standpoint. We used to have a taxi company here in town, and that gentleman um, left us. Yeah. And his family, from what I understand, didn't, was unwilling to take over the service. So there's no taxi companies in town. Uh, we have Hanson's, who uh, has a delivery service. They're on our website. They can pre-book and uh, get picked up at the airport. Uh, or you have the opportunity for Uber and Lyft. And then if you really want to be economical, you can take the uh, EMTA uh, yeah. as a pickup and drop off at, at the airport as well. But we, we don't have as many services as other communities might have, particularly with the lack of a taxi service. So, so Uber and Lyft don't don't hang around uh, at arrival times. I mean, there be there there you would think there'd be enough Ubers out there to well, just be available, you know. Well, but a lot of people don't feel 
um, since the pandemic, a lot of people didn't feel comfortable putting people in their car that they didn't know. Ah. There was this thing that, you know, do they have COVID? Will they wear a mask? Are they going to be, you know, belligerent? And all these things that, you know, you, you take for granted. And so a lot during the pandemic, a lot of people stopped driving Uber and Lyft because they didn't want to mm-hmm. have a stranger in their car because they, they don't know, you know, where they came from, what they're doing, those sort of things. So um, that's starting to come back. But it was not the number of travelers that take Uber and a Lyft um, is down. And I remember uh, a guy that works for me, his wife wanted to go out and, and party. And she says, I'll just get an Uber home. She, he says, that's not going to happen. He goes, she goes, what do you mean? You're going to have a really tough time. So she partied all night. She needs to get home, calls the Uber and Lyft, can't get any. So the husband had to get up, <laughs> take the son out of bed because the son was sleeping yeah. to go pick up the mom to bring him home. So, wow. uh, the, the reliability that people got used to prior to pandemic is not there nationwide. I mean, I've, I was in Orlando for a conference. This uh, gentleman said him and his wife waited an hour and 10 minutes for an Uber in Orlando. Oh, my. And then they paid surge pricing to go 13 miles. They paid $70. So it's, it, it's, it's sort of it's a domino effect of everything in the industry. I mean, it's, it's just not one thing. It, it's everything. And, if, you know, when I tell people if you go on a vacation – if you think you're going to get a rental car, you better make a reservation because right. you might not get one. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. We're talking aviation with our aviation expert, the executive director for uh, Erie International Airport, the Airport Authority, Derek Martin, is with us here. And, and Derek, uh, again, I'm sure you have to deal with this all the time. Uh, some of us older folks remember U.S. Air and the DC-9s, you know. Um, uh, this is before the regional jet era. We either had the puddle jumpers, right? The big uh, turboprops, mm-hmm. or we had full size, you know, uh, McDonnell Douglas or, uh, or uh, you know, uh, Boeing, you know, smaller jets, right? And so uh, that, that whole era is over, isn't it? Well, it's, you had those jets because you had more hubs in the United States than we currently have today. So if you look at, the how we have get to american airlines now we had uh u.s airways merged with america west and then those two companies merged with american right so they cut down the number of hubs they had so u.s airways had a hub in philadelphia and they had a hub in pittsburgh uh and so when that service went away or that merger took place the pittsburgh hub disappeared Right. Okay. And if you look at what happened next door to us in Cleveland, uh, United Airlines and Continental, I think it was, I don't know if it was Continental or United that had the hub in. It was Cle- Continental had the Cleveland, Cleveland hub. Cleveland yeah. hub. And mm-hmm. when they merged with one another, the Cleveland hub went away. If you look at the Delta merged with Northwest Airlines. Right. Yeah. The Memphis hub went away. Wow. So you could see hubs all over the country were sort of downsized and they start floating those, that traffic over. Um, their bigger hub and to more destinations. So those communities lost a lot of nonstop service and it lost the smaller communities lost the ability to fly on a bigger plane to those destinations. And so it, it's a combination of the loss of hubs uh, more than the the passengers. So Erie still has passengers. That so those are landing slots, basically. When you lose a hub, you're losing landing slots. Well, it's not necessarily losing landing slots. You're, you're losing volume of air 
traffic to destinations because of the number of passengers that are going into. So I don't know what the number is, but say right. that you had 25 communities they were all flying in those DC-9s that you spoke about a few yeah. minutes ago into Pittsburgh. Right. And all those people were getting off the plane. They're not going to Pittsburgh. They're going some, somewhere beyond. Sure. And so that allowed you to fly a bigger plane from Erie or wherever else into Pittsburgh to those destinations. And when that connectivity went away because everybody's not going to Pittsburgh, that means that those flights sort of disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. So... So that doesn't, I mean, could you ever envision a time where that flight to Charlotte, where we might be going to Atlanta, to uh, Orlando, to Miami, and, you know, all points south, that there would be enough demand out of Erie to, you know, to fill either a 120-seater or I don't, I don't know what, a, what, what's the modern version of the, uh, of the the old MD eighty, uh, the- most plane, planes that are a little bit bigger are at a one fifty to two hundred passenger okay. range. So I mean, the only way that we can fly a plane uh, of that size or magnitude, it's going to a leisure destination in Florida from a nonstop perspective. So you're you're looking at maybe a Tampa, you're looking at Orlando, or you like looking at Fort Myers. Um, those are big destinations where people might have second homes they're going to go see disney the mouse universal studios mm-hmm. uh the what do they have in tampa they have something over there um isn't that bush gardens, bush gardens yeah. is in tampa yeah. uh you also have clearwater saint uh beach that's mm-hmm. uh, over there as well which is 30 minute drive from the tampa airport over the clearwater beach which is absolutely gorgeous um but that's where the, the challenge is you you have to have enough volume of people that want to go to that destination to make it viable consistently talk about that because i know that you've been actively trying to bring in an allegiant or a, another low-cost leisure carrier into erie for those direct non-stops to florida destinations uh where where does that stand uh you know have you gotten any kind of favorable response from those airlines um i just talked to as i said i was down in um in mobile alabama i met with you know there was three or four low-cost carriers they're interested, but right now there's a challenge with the pilots. You know, they have enough pilots to fly the routes that they ha- have, unless a, a route's not doing well, do they have the opportunity to replace that route and maybe put it in Erie? So we still have those conversations and talks, but right now that pilot issue is sort of the forefront of everything in right. the industry. Do, do you see Erie playing a role like a Niagara Falls plays a role to the Buffalo market where – Niagara Falls has kind of carved out a niche to, let's say, have a nonstop to Myrtle Beach. I can't remember what carrier it is. or And again, I don't know if this is still accurate, if they're still doing this. <clears throat> but it used to be that they would get a lot of Toronto business. 30% you know, of their traffic comes from Toronto. <laughs> to Niagara Falls, yeah. Well, to Niagara Falls or, or Buffalo. Flying, uh, or okay. Buffalo. I mean, they have two airports there, so I think there's a low-cost carrier at one. And, and JetBlue does real well in Buffalo, right? I mean, they seem to they, be. They connect you to New York. Okay. okay, that's yeah. just New York. Yeah, I believe that's only... Is it Southwest? Somebody's got uh, quite a few destinations out of Buffalo. I don't know if it's Southwest or what have you. I'm not, I'm not sure yeah. about all the flights, but, you know, um, Buff- or Buffalo was really hurting during the pandemic because the border was closed. Sure. And so the, the number of passengers that they were getting come across the border, people says, well, why do people from Canada come to Buffalo? Well, the most expensive airport in the world... <laughs> 
is Toronto Pearson. Oh, is it really? And so the taxes on airline tickets crossing the border, the fees associated with going and coming, uh, add to the ticket price. And because that adds to the ticket price, uh, a lot of those people, you know, for the most part, there really isn't low-cost carriers in Canada. I mean, right. the WestJet is about the closest thing you, that you have, and then you have Porter Air, uh, which has been flying from uh, Billy Bishop, which is the downtown airport in Toronto, to variety of destinations in Canada as well as into New York City. And so um, they've now just got a jet uh, that they're actually flying out of Pearson Airport, which is uh, the bigger airport, to uh, bigger destinations on the west, gotcha. western Canada. The... Um you know, so, so I, I, you, you, you're following me where I'm going. You know, what would it take to? It, it's that chicken and the egg thing. Do you, can, you know, can you build demand to ninety percent, and then we get a larger aircraft, or is it, is it better for us actually to keep to keep it to like say seventy or seventy five seaters and get more flights coming out of Erie? So what you want to do is you want to have a combination of things. You want more flights on American United with bigger planes, and then you're working on the, the low-cost carrier to um, a Florida destination. So we have an incentive program that we have in place that basically doesn't cost the airlines anything to operate here if they're going to Florida for two years. We use a similar incentives with uh, United to Dulles. They took advantage of that for a year, so they, had, uh, they didn't pay fees for the first 12 months after that, they paid the fees, and then the pilots uh, shortage uh, put a damper in that. Right. So we have an incentive program. We, we have it in place to try to, uh, we, com we communicate that program to the carriers. Again, is depending on the product you have, it's further reach that we reach. So if we have, a, say, low-cost service from here to Orlando, so we'll get people from Ashtabula and a little bit further west because it's easier to come here than go to Cleveland. Right. We'll get everybody up to Jamestown. We'll get people from Meadville, south of Meadville, coming up here. And then you've got some of these smaller little places that are in that sort of corridor. If you go down 79 and you hit towards 80, heading east, all mm -hmm. those people as well would be attractive to come to Erie. So your reach, uh, or what's called the catchment area, is expanded or greater. Yeah, I mean, you're probably knocking on the door of a half a million people at some point. We are. Yeah. And we are. There's a half a million people that Erie is a closer airport than these other airports. And what happens is it's interesting. I was at the comedy club um, over the weekend, and the number of people that were from Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Buffalo, came to Erie, Pennsylvania. To, to see an act. To see an act. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So it goes both ways. Right. You know, we have people going there, people coming up here. So you want that combination. You're pretty much, for now anyway, thinking that Delta, which had 40% market share before the pandemic, is probably going to be a long time coming before they come back. If they come back, it will not be to Detroit. It would be to like a place like Atlanta. Oh, which we wouldn't mind that. No, we wouldn't. I mean, it's the largest airport in the United States, uh, number one hub for Delta. So you got both domestic and international traffic. Not do only do they still have a hub in Cincinnati? No, they got rid of that. Yeah. Okay. Again, when the Delta and Atlanta uh, and Northwest merged, mm -hmm. that hub went away as well. So, uh, so not only was Northwest hubs affected, even some of the Cincinnati hubs were, or the um, Delta hubs were affected as well. Makes sense. Yeah, I remember when uh, I lived in Nashville, we had uh, we had the American hub for years, right? And they. They vanished, right? But then Southwest took all those uh, 
all those gates yeah. you know they they have i don't know if it's a considered a hub but uh southwest well, southwest we're just too small for a southwest right yeah southwest wants basically uh they fly a passenger plane with about 137 150 seats and they like to do at least 10 of those a day so if you you do wow. the you do the numbers you're adding you know almost 1200 passengers a day in and out of your market and mm -hmm. there aren't 1200 passengers a day going in and out of erie let's talk for a second here about um about freight uh, I don't know. Do we have FedEx and UPS planes that come to Erie? Yep. What, what's the status of freight? Um, FedEx sometimes, depending on the seasonality, they'll do three or four flights a, uh, a day on what's called a, a caravan, which is a small turboprop airplane. That plane actually usually typically flies from Cleveland over to Erie, and with their packages, the trucks come out on the airfield and on offload and into those trucks, and then they deliver the, the, the plane. You know, cargo is about outbound cargo. And so people will say, well, why don't we get cargo coming here? But what do we have here that's leaving that's cargo? Anybody can fill a plane coming in, typically. What are you doing fill, sending it out? I mean, even right. the Chicago's of the world have a tough time. If you got a plane that comes in from Asia, does it, it doesn't go back full. It might go back half or, you know, 60%. So we, we don't have any cargo that that we have here um, that would go on something like that. I mean, is there opportunity to be a terminal? Like, let's say a, you know, you, you heard, of, I'm sure you've seen the, the, the paperwork on that air bridge to Germany or something like that. Is that, is that a, a thing? That air bridge to Germany, I thought was not the right message to communicate to the people of this town. The air, the runway was extended because the airlines were taking a penalty which I mean by that is they couldn't fill their plane to capacity because the runway is too short. Right. And if the runway is too short, that means they can't make money. And so that's the reason why the runway was extended. So the only thing that we could think about from a cargo perspective, and I'll just throw a name out there, if you had uh, Amazon that would use Erie to service Cleveland, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and Erie and move freight around. Mm -hmm. The challenge is that they set up shop, I think, in Cincinnati. So the travel distance between there and Cincinnati is not that far by car, so they might be trucking from Cincinnati. Right. And they have that, Amazon has a regional short facility here, and all that stuff is trucked in to Erie, and then it's put on other uh, vans and cars and trucks and so, sent So to you're it. saying that, that as far as an air terminal goes like that, it's already being handled uh, elsewhere. Unless much it, like UPS has a terminal in New Stanton for us, you right. know. So un unless you get additional volume of people that are ordering packages in and out of Erie, that they can see that it makes more sense to you know put something mm -hmm. in Erie versus somewhere else, then you can do that. I mean, we have the runway capacity to handle. I mean, we would ha there have to be a lot of infrastructure built in to, you know, have like two or three additional jets out on a cargo ramp not on the terminal ramp mm -hmm. to process those packages is there is is aviation a space and it's going to sound from left field but uh, you're the expert i want to tap into that is aviation a space for entrepreneurship meaning that in the 80s i don't know if you knew about this but i i remember there was a little company out of erie called jetstream mm -hmm. and they would fly these 12 18 20 passenger jets to Harrisburg, to Philadelphia. It was just this little thing, but they seemed to get enough business, uh, business, 
to to fill their planes, and then eventually they got gobbled up, and you know it, it moved on. But it, yeah, I mean, people would take advantage of that. Is there such a thing as that kind of entrepreneurial opportunity in the current environment? Um, I would say no, because the the plane size you're talking about were small planes. You know, they're right. nine maybe a 19 seaters those planes don't exist anymore and then with the challenge with the um, cost of pilots to operate planes anymore if if you're a pilot and you're going to make 120 you're not making 120 in a nine or 19 passenger airplane and from an entrepreneurial perspective in this industry there's only two or three people that have really you know taken the industry by storm and one's David Niedemann he was at Morris Air he left Morris Air. He, he went to work at Southwest Airlines. He went from Southwest. Uh, he sort of got let go because he was too advanced. Yeah. So we talk about you know technology. He was the guy that wanted to do more technology and uh, to, to make their systems work better. It was too too far advanced for Southwest Airlines. So he had a non-complete cause. Then he left there and he started JetBlue in New York. Oh, okay. Wow. And then he went from there and he started Azul in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And now he's back in the U.S. and he started Breeze. So he he has sort of been the only person that understands that. I mean, just to talk about the, the challenges with Southwest and technology, obviously, you know, we talked before we got on the air what happened in December. What, yeah, over Christmas. Over Amazing. Christmas. So here's the challenge with Southwest. Their system does not allow you to sell a plane on a red eye. So most... Uh, United American Delta, if they take you to Hawaii, you go to Hawaii and you come back on a red eye and, and, and you I get back. I took that, yeah. But Southwest doesn't have a system to do that. So if you're on the east coast of the U.S., you actually have to buy a separate ticket to get to the west coast and then the next day most likely fly from there to Hawaii and then when you come back, fly from Hawaii to somewhere on the west coast, get your bags, and then recheck in for your flight. So they don't have a system that can take passengers on their total network because their system is antiquated. Wow. And so their system shut down, and unlike bigger airlines with hubs and spokes, they have a better way to recover. Uh, Southwest didn't have a better way to recover, and a lot of that's due to their technology. So, are they fixing all of that? I mean, are they planning on yeah, they're, they're working. by the summer, this, the, the high season, doing better with that? Yeah, I, I think they're working on it. It's just yeah. the challenge is, is that when you've had a system in place for so long, yeah. um, you know, do you want to make the investment uh, to something different? Mm-hmm. So Southwest for years has never been in what's been called the um, GDS system which was the global um, ticket selling system. So if you right. wanted to a travel agent, they could pull up all the air, air carriers, but they couldn't pull up the Southwest. The old Sabre, American Sabre, Sabre deal, right? Sabre. Um, you had um, United had uh, Amadeus, I think, or whatever it was called. <laughs> right. But you had all these different systems. Yeah. Uh, and those systems allowed travel agents to book tickets on any carrier hotels, all those sort of things. And... Southwest was an in them. Southwest to this day still not in them. So if yep. you think about an airline that's been around as long as Southwest, they're not in the global distribution system that the other carriers are in. And so um, it makes it for a challenge for, and you know, so if you were trying to book a Southwest airline ticket, to this day you would have to go to southwest.com to buy a ticket. You right. can't buy an Expedia or any of those other locations. It, it, they won't even uh, let you 
like even from Google Flights, if you're trying to compare prices and stuff, mm. it's it's very difficult. Yeah. All right, we've got, only got a couple more minutes with uh, Derek Martin from the airport. Tell us what you anticipate the next six months as far as the flying experience for the Erie Traveler, uh, you know, through uh, ERI here. I think you're gonna have good travel experience. I think the biggest challenge that citizens here in Erie have to understand is decisions the airlines make from a global perspective is not based on Erie, Pennsylvania. So prior to the pandemic, I think all the carriers had a 30-minute window that you get to the airport 30 minutes before your flight, those ticket counter kiosks that can print your boarding passes and all that stuff. Um, they lock out 30 minutes before departure. Wow. American has upped that to 45 minutes from departure. So you, you can't get to the airport 10 minutes before your flight and think you're going to get on, <laughs> okay, because the, the, they've already boarded and they're pushing back from the gate. And so it's one of those education things is get to the airport in a timely manner so you can get on. So 6 o'clock flight, that American flight to Charlotte at 6, when do you want to be there? Um, 5 is the latest. 4.45 would be better if you're checking bags. Okay. If you're not checking bags, as long as you print out your boarding pass or you have the app and you have the boarding pass on your app, you can still get through security. And you can print out your boarding pass at home, right? Correct. Okay. And so... Um, some people are what about real ID do you need real ID yet not yet that's okay. I think it's been pushed back to uh, May of 2024 that's, is it just easier if you have a passport to bring the passport for TSA yeah if you have a passport you don't need real ID so yeah. it's one or the other uh, it's you have to have it and what people understand it's not just for airports as we go into the future federal agencies like the Social Security Administration if you don't have a real ID they're not gonna let you in the building oh my god so uh, so you imagine some senior citizen that's go going to the Social Security office and they might not have a passport, they might not have real ID, they won't have access to get into to that facility mm -hmm. to, to deal with the Social Security Administration. So it's, you know, Pennsylvania made, made the decision to not require everybody to have it, and that's why Pennsylvania is one of the states that's behind the curve. Some states just made it mandatory, mm -hmm. and you need real ID, and so you'll stop those challenges from happening, you know, you know, Aunt Mary's sister died. She wants to go to the funeral. She shows up at the airport, needs a real ID. She doesn't have one. She gets to the check-in counter or TSA. Says, "Ma'am, you can't, uh, can't use this. This is not a real ID." So the older woman's going to the, the, the TSA. Sonny, I got this from the uh, DMV. What do you mean it's not real? Why would they give me a fake ID? I mean, I mean, somebody didn't think of this conversation that's going to happen at the airports and the airport people, the airline people. They're going to take the brunt of the, the abuse because they're not going to understand it. I mean, and they pushed this back like multiple years. I mean, this wow. was supposed to be, this is something that happened at 9 11. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're 10 years plus past 9 11 and it's yes, still sir. not implicated. I mean, it's. Yeah. Uh, as far as uh, when you get your, to your destination, you should have your rental car already reserved. Um, and uh, check bags and all that stuff. Are, are we are we losing still losing a lot of bags or? No, we're not losing. We're not losing a lot of bags. I think the challenge is is people. Um, if they have maybe a tight connection, it doesn't mm. make it. But it get to your final destination. Um, legal connections usually were thirty minutes or more. Uh, if I, you see a connection that's under 30 minutes, I question it, especially in a big big city because it's almost impossible to get from point A to point point B, even if you're able-bodied. Right. I mean, sometimes you see people sprinting through the airport and you're going, wow, like, yeah. you must be really late that you're, you know, you're sprinting to, uh, because maybe your connecting flight didn't get in, whatever the case may be. So those sort of things. Um, I, I think 
just be aware of what's going on from a mm -hmm. travel perspective as as you, you you board planes and and travel um with a lot of the bigger challenge also is if there's more leisure travelers flying, they're not as used to the travel experience and they take more time sure. to process. And so be aware of, of, of that. Because uh, So really any, any connection that's uh, shorter than an hour is gonna be dicey. Yes. Yeah. What about uh, at ERI, um, if I'm sitting, in, sitting waiting to board, can I grab a sandwich? Uh, how early can I do that? Um, the... Uh, we have uh, uh, Tailwinds, who operates the concession at the airport. They have a full bar, full restaurant. Um, you know, they, the food's good. And they open up for the first flights in the morning, all the outbound, outbound flights. So um, even that 6 that yeah. a.m.? Yep, they're there okay. 6 a.m. Get a cup of coffee if that's all you mm -hmm. want. And then you can get on the plane with your coffee and, and go from there. So um, that's where the challenge is, is that, you know, people want those amenities and we are nice enough to have them at the the gift shop. We, you know, they have magazines, they have other gifts that you want. Right. You know, they have uh, eerie t-shirts if somebody wants to take it to a relative nice. somewhere else. Um, those are available. People, you know, I mean, the idea is customer service. People still want to have a pleasant experience flying and, and you're feeling like we're able to do what we can at ERI. Yeah. I mean, our customer service, I, I think it was the best in the country. I mean, the airline people try to, you know, accommodate the passengers as best they can they try to book them or rebook them if there's a challenge that, that taking place tsa is is friendly and respectful mm -hmm. uh and you know once you get inside the terminal building the the, the concessionaires are, are, are well as nice you know the car rental people here for people coming here renting cars um you know they're very nice as well so um when people understand that trying to keep people that are coming into your airport engaged and happy in the process and we also have a facility that's very, very clean. No, well, that that really is super important. I want to leave it there. Uh, Derek Martin, the uh, executive director of Erie International Airport, the Airport Authority. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Joel. Have a great day. Appreciate it. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com.